Who watches television? Who wants to admit to that? Of course, we all watch television. But 70 years ago, there weren't very many televisions about. Now, I know on the news and, you know, on the, on the television at the moment, because it's 70 years since the end of the Second World War, there's been a lot about the past, the war. And there was one particular documentary on BBC Two called um, The Greatest Generation. That that was the greatest generation of our time in Britain because of all the difficulties and so on and so forth. They stood firm, and my father was one of them, and I'm not quite sure uh, here, but, you know, that was a time where there was greatness called and was delivered. It was also a time where you can, if you think about it, there was another nation that was great around about that time, and that was the Jews. They were incredible, because they went through, obviously, terrible times of the Holocaust and so on and so forth. What did they do in 1948? They built a state. They returned. That could be considered as the greatest generation of that time. But I want to talk about what I would consider the greatest generation of the Israelites in the Old Testament. That, in my view, was the greatest generation of Israelites ever. I'll explain why, but before I do, I just need to put some uh, housekeeping things in order here. This is what I call a simple overview. (laughs) I like simple because it's simple. Um, Also, it means that I can avoid all those lengthy references to Scripture. Unless you've got the whole day to listen to me, we'll park those, okay? And... um, It's also the fact that the reason we can do this is that I consider that this particular reading in Nehemiah, in chapter 10, 9 and 10, is actually the focal point, the centre of what it's all about. It just happens to be. I know you're only three chapters for the end of Nehemiah, and you've just, I think you went through Ezra, I'm not sure, but they're, they're together. So I'm going to do a simple overview as to what it's about And hopefully I'm not repeating things that have been said at the beginning, perhaps when you had your first talk uh, ten weeks ago, whenever it was. And that'll explain something about why I consider them the greatest generation. And what I'm going to do is just take a couple of strands of this simple overview. Just so you're right, just two strands. There could be hundreds of strands of what it's about. We'll just take a couple, all right? Fine. Well, if you bear with me on that, let's set the scene. These were the Israelites that were in Babylonia. A generation before, they'd been cast out, hadn't they? Um, They'd been taken over. uh, Solomon's temple had been destroyed, completely destroyed. And what did we have? We had a ruined city. The walls were gone. The temple was gone. It was not a mess. And there were a few people left behind, just a few. But guided by the Lord, some Israelites decided to leave what was then a relatively comfortable life in Babylonia. They weren't slaves. To come back 
to a terrible place. You know, the Second World War, there's Coventry destroyed and lots of cities in Europe. It was like coming back to that. It was flattened. It was terrible. There was a disease. The economy was ruined. Yet they chose to return. Why? Because they wanted to rebuild their temple. They wanted to return back to the promised land. They wanted to restore what had been given to them that they recognised they'd thrown away. But there was something else. They then built their temple, the second temple. It didn't look anywhere near as nice as the first temple. We know that Solomon's temple was beautiful. Designed by God, told him exactly how to make it. The second temple was a shallow reflection, but they built it. And they built the walls, and they had a lot of opposition. They even had opposition from the people that were remaining. Did you know that? The Jews that stayed, or the Israelites that stayed, weren't happy. That reflects today. When the state of Israel was established... The Jews that were living there at the time, the Orthodox Jews, they don't believe in it. They don't believe in their own state. You do know that. They don't pay taxes, and their young men do not go into the army. Exactly the same relationship as then. Israelites returned. They were determined to create their kingdom again. Yet they had opposition all around, including the neighboring countries. Anyway, they managed to build the temple, and they managed to build the wall. But there was something terribly bad and wrong that they could not resolve. It took them a long time to build the temple and it took them a long time to build the wall. But there was something missing in the temple that they couldn't replace. And that was the Ark of the Covenant. You see, in the uh, Temple of Solomon... The Ark of the Covenant was placed in the Holy of Holies, a square room, a cube-shaped room. And that Ark had a mercy seat. And that is where the Lord came, in power and authority, smoke and fire. Do you remember the stories of the tabernacle? That was placed in, King's, in, in Solomon's temple, but was lost when that temple was destroyed the very heart of what they were trying to do was missing. Their own God. And they would hear of other temples all around, you know, in other countries. They had their effigies of their gods. But what did the Israelites have? Nothing. Just an empty room, a hole in the middle of the temple. They did not have their true God. That was a big problem. Yes, they wanted the land to flow with milk and honey. Yes, they wanted the economy to return. But that was <coughs> seriously bad. Now, there was an old man called Ezra. Ezra was an old priest. 
and he was probably the wisest man there. He was an absolutely brilliant chap. Um, he knew the law. He read and read and read the law. He found the old scriptures and he started rereading them and rereading them and reminding the people of what those scriptures meant. And those scriptures spoke of a Messiah, an anointed one, that would come and restore everything. Written in Daniel, Isaiah, remember? Isaiah, what does it say? The government will be on his shoulders, wonderful counsellor. In Daniel, about the anointed one returning the people. And he goes on and on and on. This is where I can cut short, you see. I don't have to give you all the scriptural references. I've avoided it. But there's loads of them. Loads and loads and loads. And Ezra, oh, he was a brilliant man. And he read them and reread them and reread them. And he was saying to the people, now look, we're in a bad way at the moment. A very bad way at the moment. But God has determined that there will be an anointed one, a Messiah. He will come and help. He will begin to bring back things. And that's what's called the Messianic Age. And they built up a concept to understand what this was. They realised it wouldn't be them but it would be a generation in the future, a messianic generation. They knew that it would be 40 years long. When this Messiah Messiah would come, there would be this messianic age of 40 years. You say to yourself, well, why 40 years? Why did they understand that? 40 years represents a lifetime. That's the point. A lifetime. Just as when they were in the wilderness, it was a lifetime, 40 years. A lifetime. A generation that under the Messiah, they would go out there, these people of faith, these Israelites, and they would clear the land. And they would deal with all the kingdoms that were attacking them. And they will restore the kingdom of Israel. What they would consider to be the greatest generation to come. The messianic generation. Under the head of the Messiah. A wonderful army of faith. And then after that period, what was their understanding? That there would be a resurrection. You know that? A resurrection of all their fathers and all the people, all the Israelites of before would be resurrected and they would all live together at Jerusalem and in their new Israel all live together with their fathers and guess who would return to the temple? God would return to the temple. That was their understanding of the messianic age and can you understand why they thought that there they were they had a poor temple no god economy in a terrible state suffering 
That was their understanding from the scriptures that they drew out. And that was their expectation. But they realised that they had to do something to help the Lord get to that stage. That was the point. What could they do? What could they do to start this process of the Messianic age, of this anointed one coming back? Well, the first thing they did was in chapter 9. They confessed their sins. Not only that, they confessed the sins of their fathers. Do you remember what it said? You must have had the week before, whenever it was. They confessed the sins of their fathers. They said, our fathers did wrong. Really, really wrong. They didn't follow. And what did they do? They brought foreign idols in and worshipped foreign idols. They had the Ten Commandments. They knew exactly what to do. They had the temple, the Temple of Solomon. They had it all. Yet they did detestable things. Their kings did all sorts of strange things. We all know that the kingdom split into two parts. Everything went wrong, didn't it? We know that. It's there in the scriptures. They sought forgiveness of the sins of their fathers. They said, forget our fathers. We're going to stand here and ask for the forgiveness of our fathers. We're not going to excuse them. It was their fault, and it's our fault. Please forgive us. And they cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes and all the things that they traditionally do. Okay? But there's one other thing that they did. The most important thing is that they resolved to follow God. They resolved, and we had the reading. What did they do? An incredibly unusual thing. They wrote God a letter, didn't they? Have you ever heard of such a thing? (laughs) God's written to them, the Ten Commandments. This is going the other way. This is amazing stuff. This puts the Magna Carta into the shade. This is about writing to your God. Did they not? So they would have taken some skins, I expect it was, I don't know. And they wrote down the fact that they promised to follow God. It's as simple as that. And all the dictates and all the rules that God had given their fathers in the past, you remember, the Ten Commandments and all the rules and regulations, what they were going to do was to obey Now, we didn't have the full reading, but the reading read on about making sure that their wives didn't marry into, uh, their daughters didn't marry into um, other um, neighbouring nations and all the other things. Okay? And they wrote it all down. And who signed it? That's the key thing. Did a king sign it? Did they anoint or or elect another king, however they wanted to do it? Do you remember King Saul right at the beginning? Did God want King Saul? No, he didn't, did he? He 
said, we're not going to bother with the king anymore. We are not going to bother with the king. No way. What happens? It all goes wrong. Our king is God. If he's in the temple, we follow him. We follow his rules. That's it. We're never doing that again. Ever. No king. Just God. Follow God. And so, therefore, the people that signed it were the people. (laughs) It was the people that signed it. The Israelites signed it. Not a hierarchical system. The Israelites signed it. Just the leaders of the tribes and so on and so forth. They signed it. It's like a people's charter written by themselves to God. Now, where did they put... You know, if you write a letter to to someone, you put it in a letterbox and off it goes. So ask yourselves the question, where did they put this letter? Where did the letter go? Oh, yes, sir. In the temple. Now, we don't have detailed understanding of what happened, but remember what Moses did just before he died, and they're on the banks of the Jordan. Do we know the story? Deuteronomy? We know the story, don't we? He reminded all the people of what they should do when they popped over the River Jordan into the Promised Land, didn't they? That's what. And they wrote it all down. And they took that and they put it with the Ark of the Covenant. Some people believe they put it in the Ark of the Covenant with the tablets. We don't know. No one knows. And so, of course, what do these people do? These Israelites. A thousand years later, what did they do? They put it, I believe, probably in the Holy and Holies or right on the, uh, the front of the curtain, wherever. There you are, Lord. There it is. We are going to follow you now. Please, please come back. Please come back. May the scriptures be fulfilled. May you please send that anointed one, the Messiah, and then you come back. That's what they did. Now then, we're very fortunate sat here because we have something called the Bible, which I don't actually have here. (laughs) We have a book called the Bible. I'd like to hold it there because we know what happened. Do we? We've got a pretty good idea what happened. You see, the Messiah did come. 430 years later. And his name was Jesus. But exactly what happens about the Messianic generation is not quite what they understood to be what happened. Because not only did God come back to the temple... He came back to many temples. And let me explain. Paul, you know, Paul, the apostle, wrote, Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're now in the New Testament time. Okay? God wasn't interested anymore in stone temples. He was interested in temples made of 
flesh and blood. Oh yes, he's going to return. We just have to think about who we are and how we were created. How were we created? King David knew that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. His soul and our souls were made in the heavenly realms. Right up there. If you were a Jew or an Israelite, you would have believed that your soul was made at creation time and you were stored up there for your body. It doesn't matter when your soul was made whether it was the moment before you were born or whatever. We're not going there. It's not important. What is important is that you were wonderfully and fearfully made in heaven. You have wonderful souls. And you have a spirit, a human spirit. And they were made in heaven. You were with God at that point of your creation. What would you have looked like if you were a building? I'll tell you what you look like. You would have looked like King Solomon's temple. Beautiful. Get it? And what was in the temple? God. You were with God and God made you in the heavenly realms. And you would have looked beautiful. Then something happened. You were born physically into this world, were you not? Every single one of us. Born into this world. Born into the world of sin. Born into sin. And God couldn't come with you. So what would you have looked like if you were building? The second temple. You and I would look like the second temple. The not so perfect temple. But most important, the temple that has got a hole in the middle of it. There's no God there. God is outside. And Jesus, who as we know is the Messiah, he's banging on the door of that temple. My temple, me, you, everyone, particularly those, obviously, who are not followers of God. And he's banging there. And he's saying, let me in. Let me in. Because I'm going to bring my Holy Spirit and my God. So that the whole in you can be filled and you can be a proper, fully functioning, lovely temple. Everyone on this planet is a temple. It's just that Some have the Holy Spirit inside them and some do not. Jesus wants to bring the fullness of Christ, it's called. The Trinity. When Jesus comes inside you, he doesn't just bring himself. He brings the Holy Spirit and he brings the Father as well. The full majesty of God comes inside. You can't say, I'm going to have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. No. You take it all. You've got to hear the knock. You've got to open your ears and open your eyes and realize that you are a temple 
and that you can be filled. So, if someone's knocking on your door, if Jesus is knocking on your door, how do you let him in? You do exactly the same as what the Israelites did 2,400 years earlier. You ask for forgiveness, don't you? You say, Lord, um, please forgive me. You know, I've been born into this terrible world and all sorts. I've done some pretty bad things and I've filled my life with all sorts of bits and pieces. I seem to have a hole in my heart, Lord, and I seem to be filled it with rubbish. I don't know why there's this hole here, but I've filled it with rubbish. Please clear it away. I want you. Okay? And what's the second thing you do? You say, I want to follow you, Jesus. It's just what the Israelites said. They wrote it down on a piece of skin. Skin, you see? Flesh, blood. They wrote it down. We write it, we say, Lord, please forgive me, but now I resolve, I want to follow you. Help me to follow you. Help me. Help me with the scriptures. Help me with my friends. Help me. Find a church. I want to follow you. you do what the Israelites did 2,400 years ago then you can then be filled by the Holy Spirit because Jesus is knocking and if you say that you can open your doors into your temple which is you and the Lord can walk in it's as simple as that but that's amazing though because it moves on to one other thing Because the moment you have the Holy Spirit inside you, the moment you're born again, if you want to call it that, and that you're this new temple, you become the Messianic generation. So all those sat here who have welcomed the Holy Spirit into your hearts, you are the Messianic generation. You are that generation that those Israelites have been praying for and wanted. They didn't realise it would be everyone on the planet could be a member of the Messianic generation. They thought it would be just Israelites. But you are, we are, the Messianic generation. Because the, the Messiah, Jesus, made it so. We're it. If you want to put it another way, we're the greatest generation on earth. Not through our efforts. We're not great. We're great because we have the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit inside us. That's what makes us the greatest generation. So what do you do? (laughs) When you recognize that you are there. Well, remember what the Israelites were saying. That generation, that Messianic generation would be strong. And they would follow their Lord, their leader. They would follow their Messiah. And that's what we have to be, strong. Let us be that Messianic generation. Let us do what those Israelites expected us to do. Let us work for God to return God himself to this world. For that a resurrection to occur 
is our job. We are in the generation to bring that about because we're filled temples. We have a purpose. We didn't have a purpose until we had the Holy Spirit inside us. But when the God is inside us, we can hear him. He talks to us. He tells us what to do, doesn't he? Doesn't he? He moves in our lives. He gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us encouragement. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit. We have everything. We're full of wealth inside us. It's wonderful. And we have a purpose. To advance the kingdom of heaven, to widen the kingdom of heaven, so that at the end of the Messianic age is the eventual resurrection, resurrection where everyone who's in Christ rises. Because we started this about the first, uh, Second World War, I want to read you something that Churchill wrote. And it goes like this. There comes a special moment in everyone's life, a moment for which that person was born. That special opportunity, when he seizes it, will fulfill his mission. A mission which, is, which he is uniquely qualified. In that moment, he finds greatness. It is his finest hour. May we all have our finest hour in Christ. Amen. Now we'll have a time of prayer. It's okay. Let's just bow our heads and think about those words. Oh Lord, Father, we praise you and thank you for your word of truth today, Lord. And if there's been anything that was not of you and that was not quite right, Lord, burn that away. Lord Father, we recognize that you are our life and that we always desire you to be close to us. Lord, help us to recognize that you're not only close, you are actually in us and we are in you. Let us eat solid food. Let us recognize who we are in you. Let us understand each of our purposes in you. And let us just quietly remind ourselves and resolve ourselves once again to follow you.